The Hustle. Hi, everyone. I'm Roger Sanchez. Welcome to The Hustle. We sit down with groundbreaking and influential people in media, sports, music, and culture and talk about the business side of life, their hustle. We're in London today, and I'm actually, and it's my great pleasure to sit down with one of my personal friends who's actually the founder of Defected Records, which is one of the most influential house music labels and clubbing brands of the 21st century. My main man, Mr. Simon Dunmore. How you doing, brother? I'm good, Roger. How are you? So good to see you, my man. Thanks for taking the time out. I know you've got a lot, a lot going on, and we got some ground to cover. Indeed, it's been a been a busy year yeah. for, for us both. <laughs> Man. Well, I'll tell you what, Simon, let's start off with giving people who may not know you a bit of your origin story. Go back to the beginning, especially like right around the time when I met you for the very first time, but maybe a little bit further back than that. So, oh, way, way back in Who's the day. Who's Simon Dunmore? Way, way back in the day, I was a soul collector. I used to collect rare and modern soul. I used to play records on the modern soul scene, and... Uh, and then that kind of developed into soul, rare groove, some jazz. Um, and then kind of what happened was 1987, 1988, the house scene came in and yes. shook, uh, shook things up quite considerably. So um, I ended up getting a job um, through, you know, in, in kind of like a roundabout way. You were Do, working at a record store around Yeah, I worked time, in right? a record Which store. Which was it again? It was called Record and Disco Centre in Rainers Lane. Yes. And the whole point of working in a record store was just to get closer to the music. Yeah. To get, you know, as the records were coming in from the import vans, yeah, yeah. fresh from America and whatever, you would be the first person to get that elusive promo yep. or you know the the guys from the from the companies in the UK would come in and give you upfront stuff or ask you advice on uh, a record that was coming out and try and get you to plug it to DJs as they came mm. in the store so I got to meet some people in the music industry and eventually I, I got a job doing club promotions at a label called Cool Tempo Records which, that's when I met you that's when I met you because yeah. uh, the story goes which is actually true was that I woke up one night, just in the middle of the night, randomly, couldn't go to sleep, and I put the radio on, and you were doing a mix for Kiss FM. Mm. And you were playing some stuff, and I'm, you know, I'm in the music business, yes. I've worked, I DJ, I've, I work at a record label, I'm buying music all the time, and you were just playing banger after banger. I didn't know <laughs> any of the records you were playing, it was all upfront pressure. And um, so I ended up recording it, and I was going to find out who you were because I had, I had no yeah. clue who some, you were. Some young new kid from New York. Yeah, yeah. And um, the, the the very next day, a, a good friend of ours who is no longer with us, unfortunately, yes. phoned me up and he said, Hi, I'm Mark Sandrups. I'm managing Roger Sanchez. Yes. I'd love to come in for a meeting. And I was just like... That's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to track Roger down, so oh, come on. I in. was actually about to send the bloodhounds out. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly that. So I, um, I was doing club promotions for uh, Cool Tempo Records. I started commissioning remixes. That eventually led to me having an A and R position. Yeah, you signed some big records for here, right? Like I think you signed Everyday People from. Uh Arrested Development. Arrested Development out here, we, right? We, we, we A&R'd and promoted uh, a diva, Gangstar, yep. Kenny Thomas, um, Arrested Development. We did remixes for Debbie Harry, for all yeah. sorts of... Yeah, the the, the pop side days. of the label. And um, You kept me pretty busy with some of I those remixes, busy. too. Juliet Roberts, yes. I remember doing Free yes. Love and Caught in the Middle. Yes. And um, anyway, so obviously we started to 
have some success. And then I was offered a position at AMPM Records. Yeah. Where I signed Ultra Day Free, Moose T. Horny, did worked with the Sounds of Blackness, Janet Jackson, Barry White, all sorts of some serious incredible talent, people. Man, and, um, and then in 1988, I left. I was... Uh, Said I'd, you had enough, huh? <laughs> I just... Working for a major is is good up until a point. Yeah. I mean, the salary's good, the perks are good, but it's never your own thing. Let uh, me ask you a question about that. You, I think, from the very beginning that when I met you, you kind of always had this air about you, this kind of um, vibe that you were going to be meant to do something on your own that was greater than kind of like the sum of the parts and i kind of had that vibe i'm like you know i'm gonna pay attention to this guy because it looks like he's got an idea of of where he wants to go even if he hasn't kind of like sussed out the exact way to get there yet was that always the case like even during those times of you being the a&r for cool tempo and for ampm you know what i never dreamed at the time that i would own my own label and it would have 20 years of existence and you know we as an independent we'd have two number one records in the uk and it was that was never on the agenda it was just was it kind of sitting in the back of your head well maybe subconsciously uh you know it was just it was all about progression it was just like okay what can i do you know djing working in a record store working at a record label signing records a hundred percent but my you know a lot of major labels they sign music because they need to make money. It's mm-hmm. not about integrity. It's yeah. not about consistency. It's, it's about the numbers, numbers and, the, and, the, and the financial return. Whereas the great dance labels in the world, it's all about consistency. It's all about having a consistent following and the, and the DJs, you know, having that reputation that a DJ will buy and play your record yeah. almost without hearing it. Yeah. You know, Strictly Rhythm, which is the first record label that I became acquainted with you with the Love Dancing record yep. had that reputation you know that a record would come in on a Friday or a Saturday you go to the Impulse and you go what's new on Strictly what's the new Strictly record yep so, how, do, how does it feel now knowing that that's the people's questions on their lips what's the new Defected records what, what's the new DFTD record how does that feel I mean it, it, it feels good but the, the thing that um, I, I believe that's given us the longevity is the fact that I try to stay close to the source. So, yeah. I, you know, I still, I mean, I'm the wrong side of 55 <laughs> now-ish. Um, but I still got, try to make the effort to go to a club. You know, I, I see what's going on. I see what the reactions. Uh, I know what I like. Yeah. Uh, I see the reaction. I know what our audience likes. I see the kind of records that DJs are playing. So it just gives me an insight. And you're very personally involved, and I know this <laughs> from a personal yeah. perspective and standpoint, you're very personally involved with, I think, pretty much almost every label, every track that comes across your label. You know, you have some sort of fingerprint on it. You've got a vibe. You sit down, you A&R almost pretty much everything. So for me, I've always seen you as very personally invested in not just the overall business, but really down to the details of the music. It, it's... I mean, I think if you look at most of the big companies in the world now, and I'm not comparing myself in any way to, or defected to Apple and Steve Jobs, but normally there is one person at the top. The mentality is there, though. Which has, you know, their DNA runs right away through the company. That's a good one. I like that. And that... that, Their DNA. Yeah, it gives them the consistency. So, you know, what I feel is 
I don't know how big our audience is, but I believe there's a, enough people around the world who share my taste in music. I think you're kind of getting a bit more, <laughs> a bit more of a clearer picture of right. how big your audience is. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 a good. Well, we can talk about why it's a good moment in time in a minute, but. You know, as long as there is an audience and and you keep your your, your consistency high. I mean, if my taste became irrelevant or or bad or whatever, then everything would just fail. It's music first. Music is the catalyst for everything, which is why it's important to go out. So even if my ears are failing me, then I listen to the tastemakers. You know, I mean, people like yourself, I go and see DJs, Kenny, Louie, you know, the, the new kids on the block that are coming through and whatever, and it gives me a sense of... Whether, whether what I'm feeling is still relevant, so I listen. You know I, that that's really important. It, 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 you know, it gives me that indication and uh, endorsement that we're still on track. But you know, the, I don't. You know, the audience ebbs and flows. House music comes and goes out of fashion. It always, moment, but, it, but it always comes back in cycle. You know what it is, Simon? Even more than just house music, it's just music. Yeah, good, look, good music. You know, if you look at the the classic um, major major label owners like the big guys Ahmad Erdkin, Clive Davis even into their twilight years man these guys were like just embedded in music and it's funny because you know you know the all jokes aside with elder statesmen of house <laughs> and all that other nonsense the reality is is good taste in music is timeless you know you, you, you know there's tons of of kind of like things that come and go fads and so on and so forth but the reality is is when you root yourself and good music, that's timeless. That that always keeps going. I understood. And, I mean, you know, the, the, the thing that's changed, um, I believe, is obviously technology, social media, yep. connectivity with your community. So for the first time ever, you know, to, to, run, to, to find out what a new record was coming out by a label some you know back in the day you'd have to go to a store yeah uh, you'd have to wait for a radio ad you'd have to wait for a magazine now it's on instagram yeah. it's on facebook Instantly. it's on twitter so if your audience is interested they look they find out immediately it doesn't the costs are relatively do you know what Let non-existent me, so. and, and to that point what's interesting is the music business itself has changed and i remember back in the day it was all about selling 12 inches seven inches and you know there was really a lot of real revenue for labels even independent even at the independent level you know to sell music now how have you found the changes with the way the music business is nowadays especially with social media the fact that very few people actually buy you know, any sort of singles. I mean, there's still that kind of like resurgence of vinyl that's come back with a bit of nostalgia with certain things. And I think kind of always like the techno and the kind of really specialist end still you can sell a couple of pieces of vinyl. But the actual consumption, the business of music, how are you finding operating in that world today as compared to when you first started the label? It's, it's, there's been a huge transition and, uh, People don't buy music now. What they do is they buy the right to listen to music. Yes. So, you know, when you do your your agreement with Spotify or Apple Music or whatever your, your preferences and how you wish to stream records, you're not actually buying ownership of a record. Yeah. You're just buying the, the, the license or the right to listen to music whenever you want to, however many times you wish to, etc., Initially, the industry was in. It was pretty horrified by the return that they saw from streaming because yeah. the volume in the market 
the, the the number of subscribers and people that were opting in to to pay for that that right to service. listen was was very low. Now it's growing at a very very um, quick rate. So the return is increasing, and the consumption of music is at an all time high because mm-hmm. you you know it's you, everywhere. Yeah, it's in a boutique, in a gym, in a restaurant. Yeah. You know, in, in you you watch people on the train, on the plane. They've all got their earbuds in. They're all listening to music, etc. So every time there's a play, you clock up a little bit of money, and, yeah. and the accumulation of that becomes significant after a while it's it's all about volume and and you know i you know, back in the day i might, might have bought a cd mm-hmm. I, if i loved the record i may have played it what the album uh, yeah. yeah i know you may have played a record 30 50 100 times mm-hmm. you know you may have burnt it ripped it to your friends yeah. made a cassette away they may have played it 50 100 times then they may have given it to their friends etc so one purchase may have clocked up 500 plays 600 plays you just wouldn't have been able to track it then. you can't track it now you track it and now you get paid for every play so i you know the economics probably are the same um just the mechanism is mechanism is completely different you know what i find i find that record labels now it's almost as if the labels have become the dj slash tastemaker so what's interesting in the new model with streaming and, and it's great that you put the kind of put a highlight on it with Spotify and with all these different services, what I've noticed personally is who I listen to. And I just kind of, when I really want to get an analysis of what everybody else is doing, I just look at my own habits. And what I see is that you go to people's playlists, you go to curated playlists. So I think what's happened, and this is where I think you really cracked it kind of early on, is Defected became a brand for a sound and what happens is people will always gravitate towards the brand they know you know nike adidas hermes whatever have you and music is the same thing and i think you've done a great job at creating brand defected and then its subsidiaries like Glitterbox, dftd and and the associated labels basically as the taste maker and for that sound and that's to me, what has really bridged the gap between defected the label and defected the brand and the global empire that I'm kind of seeing right now. So how have you navigated this transition from being A&R, label owner, to basically, and DJ, to now running global brands and clubs, festivals? You know, I've been playing for you years ago and then recently back again playing in Glitterbox in Ibiza the Croatia Defected Festival oh, you got a sold out New Year's Eve and and all these different events how has that transition affected you like how have you taken it in and really made it made it work for you well the, f- the first thing that happened was um, radio in the UK, I mean, we're a UK label. I mean, we, obviously, you've got listeners all over the world. But, you know, in the UK, we it was very unique in the UK because r- mainstream radio would support dance records. Yeah. They would play house records. You know, UK like back kind in of, the day. kind of unique for that. Yeah, so back in the day, Delacey Hideaway would get, you know, A-listed on Radio yeah. 1 and get national playlists, etc. And, and, you know, all of these records would come from the underground and get exposure. Mm-hmm. And then what happened with the commercialization of radio and, and you know, and, and advertising coming into play, Big all of the dance stations 
adopted a pop format. Yeah. And, and, and the radio station stopped playing dance records. So we were like, this is going to be pretty difficult for us, <laughs> you know. We're not getting the exposure that we we needed to. So our solution was that was to do events around initially the, music, the UK yeah. and tour like a band would tour. Right. So we had to go to our audience because it was the only way our audience was was going to hear what we were going to. So you transitioned from a label mentality to almost like a promoter band mentality. To an artist mentality. To an artist mentality. Yeah, for sure, because we had to promote what we what, what we did. So, and it's, um, you know, we needed to, to be in the epicenter of dance activity. So Miami parties, Ibiza parties, um, because that's where our audience, yep. you know, frequented uh, Ibiza all summer. Obviously, we're based in London. There's a vibrant scene in London, you know, Miami for the Winter Music Conference, etc. So wherever there was dance music, we needed to be visible. Mm-hmm. So we made an effort to, to, to be there, and it just kind of grew um, from there. So, But what happens is when you've been around for a while, people get familiar and a little bit comfortable. And yeah. you know the dance music, everyone's obsessed with the new thing, the yeah. next thing that's coming in. The hot new one. Yeah, so, you know, promoters are like, you've been around for a while, you know, you're not as shiny and new and, and yeah. whatever you speak. There's so, this new penny that just turned up and we think he's going to be <laughs> hot because it makes us look cooler like we know what's going on. So <laughs> so we found our bookings were declining because everyone wanted to book, the, you know, what, what the new kid on the yeah. block was, was uh, maybe interested in. So... We knew we still had an audience. We knew that people still wanted to see us. So we're like, okay, don't book us. We'll just go do our own thing. We'll put our own festival on. We'll curate our own night in Ibiza. And, you know, I had a conversation with a club that both you and I used to play at. Um, in Ibiza, begins with P. Yeah. Maybe you can come to your own conclusions. Um, and they, 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 they... Starts with P and ends with Acha. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I had a meeting at the end of a season when we had a really, really good season. And they just said, eh, yeah, eh, no one's interested in eh. Defected anymore. Everyone just yeah. comes for the DJs. Yeah. and duh. So thank you very much. So they kind of moved us on. They booked all of our DJs. And um, so what we did was we did the club down the road. Yep. Um, we did it every Tuesday night, and we and we had 2,000 people there. So we knew then, actually, it wasn't about people going to Pasha. People do go to Pasha. Yep. Pasha's a great club. Yep. But we contributed to that, and, and equally, I believe. Um, but what because we did it at a club where very few people went, which was Boom, yep. we knew that the value of our night of what was, you to it. was 2,000 people. So... That then gave us the confidence to promote our nights ourselves in Ibiza. The door that closed in your face opened up a garage door, <laughs> as far as I can see. Because here's what happens, it's an, it's an, and it's interesting, and I find this parallel even within my own career. There have been a lot of times when no has been the catalyst for so much greater things that at the moment, you know, you can only help but feel you know disappointed and dejected. You just got turned down. What you don't realize is that, you know, you can call it God, you can call it life. There's a path that you're meant to take. And sometimes the thing that you want is not the thing you need. And what's great about what happened to you, and I saw the evolution, was when that door was closed, it immediately forced you to have to go do it yourself. And it's funny. It's almost like what happened when you left the MPM and started Defected to begin with. You were, you started pretty much from ground zero and built it up. And I think that probably, um, and maybe you can tell me from your perspective, 
the doors closing forced you to think outside of what was your comfortable box, didn't it? Well, business-wise, in terms of doing club, the way clubs used to be run in terms of Ibiza, like a lot of people who may not know, usually what happens is uh, clubs will buy into a brand night or into a DJ that creates a brand night. What happens with something like Defected is that the creative impetus of it behind it is you. So if the club thinks I can go get the DJs cheaper, I don't really need this, that kind of put more of an onus on you to say, okay, I've got to do it myself. I mean, and what, do it better. For sure. I mean, what? See, I think I do one, you know, if I was put on earth to do one thing, yeah. I was put on earth to promote dance music. You know, I tried to produce, I, you know, I like to DJ. I don't consider myself, you know, like there were people that DJ far better than I am. Whatever, I, but it's, you, you throw down, Simon. I've been in the but, booth with you. I've actually no, but been impressed, man. You And you know me, I'm a, I'm a hard person to impress. No, I, I, for sure. But I think I, you know, I hear records. I can promote records. I've got, you know, I can market records. And, and, and that's what I do. You know, if it, if it all fell apart, it would be really hard for me. I couldn't become a, a plumber yeah. or a taxi driver. Or, you know, I just could not find a new career. So, so when the challenge is there to reinvent yourself or do something new, your survival instinct really kicks, kicks in. in. And sometimes that's when you're, you're most creative. You're, I agree. You're fighting. So, you know, and then, and then, you know, you come out and you come out fighting and you come out hard because you're fighting for your future. You're fighting for your survival, especially you have... You're fighting you, for what you love. If you, and if you have a family, even yep. more so. Oh, yeah. You know, so... Um, Motivating factors. So those challenges are, you know, it's just like we've we've been there with, with many people. We find people when hardly anybody's known them. Yep. You know, they're at the very beginning of their career. We promote them really hard. They become really successful and then they leave. This cycle happens again and again, and when Absolutely. they leave, it's quite, quite hard to come to terms with sometimes. Yeah. But what it does, it's like children, it makes you fight, go back and find the next one, yeah. and the next one, and the next one, and that keeps you fresh, that keeps you hungry, that keeps you invigorated in business, in, in and it gives you drive, and it, it's like. Not only do you want to promote the new guy because you really like what he's doing and you want him to succeed and you want to do well, you want to show the guy that's just left and you want to give him ah! a better competition. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's, you know, multiple motivations. But it's just like, it, it is like that. When when somebody says no or someone says you can't do it, you know, if, you if, you're, that, if you're that inclined, yeah. you, you want to just demonstrate that they're wrong. You know, yeah. speaking of that, what I found really interesting was while you were doing defected records in Ibiza, this little other night just kind of started popping up that I kind of, in the beginning, wasn't too aware of. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute, that's Simon. Talk to us about Glitterbox. How did that come about? Because I got to tell you, from being one of the residents for you the past couple of years, I've seen that night just absolutely dominate. And it was just a little idea of something that... It looks like there was a gap in the market, and when everybody was telling you, "Ah, nobody listens to that," you were pretty, you were pretty convinced, and pretty fervent about pushing that glitter box idea forward, weren't you? There was um, there was a little bit of luck involved, as there, as there normally is. Basically, we were doing, uh, we were promoting it a night at Boom, which I mentioned earlier. It was going exceptionally well. The rest of the nights at the club weren't doing well, and the and the owner asked me to promote a second night and I said I can't promote a second house night because 
it would cannibalise what we're doing defensively. Yeah. But I have an idea. There's an audience coming to Ibiza. It's a little bit of people coming back from a nostalgic reason to yep. reminisce. They want to listen to the records that they listened to in the you know in the 1990s, early 2000s, the anthems from back in the day. And no one's playing right now. Yeah, and and to bring some flamboyance back into clubbing yeah. because everything got really serious. You know, people were wearing it's black. Dark, it, was, it was yeah. dark. <laughs> everything just went it was, black. It went very very serious. And clubbing is about any color as long as it's black. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm guilty of that myself. No, no, so I, um, but it I was, had blue now and some little bit. <laughs> and <laughs> and occasionally a flash you, of red. You, you got some white going on there. <laughs> a little but white there. It just it just the character. I remember going to Ibiza when when I first went in 1986 to 1988. Oh, I could remember character, you know, like very, very, just like people that were extreme in their fashion or their sexuality or whatever, and that made a huge impression on me. It was going out to an experience. You uh, actually went out and remembered, (laughs) some people remembered, you know, an aspect of the night that was magical. Yeah. That that has been missing. That had been missing for the night. A great record for the, for the you night, know, and etc. So we just bought a little bit of that back to the yeah. island, and it just it clearly really resonated. So, but the the thing about it was was we wanted it to be so for the first two years we never did a glitter box party outside of Ibiza because we right. wanted people to it to be an occasion you had to travel to get there and if you traveled there you had a great time and you told you went back you told your friends obviously you tell your friends on social media now yeah. so it has a, it has a big reach it just grew very organically it's continuing to grow at a rate and uh, um yeah so we we were lucky because we managed to um uh, curate a night at the brand new club on the island called High, formerly Space. Yeah, um, they did an amazing job. They invested an Such incredible a amount of money. Transition from Space, man. Yeah. That was there was so many memories in Space, but what they did with what Space turned into as High, it just kind of felt right for Glitterbox to me when I first played it. Yeah, but it's it's because if you've been going to a beef for ten years or fifteen years, you've done Pashi, you've done Anis, yeah. you've done DC Ten and whatever, you wanna to go to the new hotspot. High is the new hotspot. It is. It's the go to club on the island. And we, we you know, we we curate Friday nights there. Friday nights is a big night on the island. And I think we were a popular party and the two just really kind of like elevated each other to the point where Six and a half thousand people at the closing for for a night playing, you know, playing classics. I know, I know. What's amazing to me also, just kind of putting the spotlight on Ibiza, is the fact that not only did you have Glitterbox every Friday in Ibiza at at High, which was between five and six thousand people, you are also running successfully defected in San Antonio at Eden, which was three thousand plus people. So add to that. The defected Croatia parties, the glitter box tours, and I played at a few of them. I was just going, yo, when is Simon actually getting any sleep? How have you managed to find the balance to pick the team? Because one thing I do know is when, once you start getting out of a very core environment and you really start spreading your wings and you really start branching out into all of these different events and at the same time running the label so on and so forth you really need to have a very strong and closely knit team so that you can communicate with them how have you gone about choosing your team i think that um you know employing staff and 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 employing people to understand you and connect with you and that are driven and share your vision 
is is difficult you know and um over the over the years you know people have come and they and they've contributed to the label and then sometimes they've gone off and do their their own thing because they're ambitious and they're you know and 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 they want to you know see that you own your own business and they see the benefits of that they always think they could do it better don't they they do they do and some people you know some people have gone on to do really well and 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 that only reflects on me i believe if they've worked for my company and they then become successful i think that's that's uh testing me to the fact that they, we give them a good education and we like to make our business a place for people to learn yes. so they can they can meet other people they can learn good practices you know and they can learn we, we make mistakes we learn from our mistakes and they can learn you know equally uh, on our dollar sometimes you have know? there been any really major mistakes that you've run across in your career especially recently within the last few years with a defected glitter box situation have you kind of hit a wall where you've just gone jesus um or as the irish say jesus (laughs) (laughs) not recently the challenge we had you know like when we say like the year and i can't remember the exact year say 2011 Mm -hmm. where we sold cds mainly cds and the odd bit of vinyl and you know our clients were the places we sold our records to were Virgin, HMV, Tower, all gone. our price decimated. All of them went out of business. It's like, it was like it was like dominoes, one so, right after the other. So one, not only did, did they go to business owing us money, so we Jeez, had to ride that yeah. out. But two, we had no market anymore, <laughs> so we had to reinvent ourselves. So you know, obviously iTunes was was coming to the fore, and we, we had a very strong digital strategy, promotion wise, and to, and to grow our community. So. There's a there's a blogger um, in the music business called Seth Godin, mm-hmm. or Seth Godin, um, and I think it was in 2009 he wrote a blog saying that the future of the music industry was about creating communities and then selling whatever you wish to sell, an event uh, or your music to the community that you create. Absolutely. I actually wasn't aware of him saying this until a couple of years later, but subconsciously that or that's what we did we yep. you know we made sure that musically we had consistency so if you were into house music or you were into what people did at defected um the next record you were likely to to, to carry on carry on liking and then if you treat your fans well um they will bring they will tell their friends and their friends then become fans Absolutely. and then their friends then become fans and that's how you grow your audience and that's how you grow your community it's very viral and it's interesting because i've seen how well you've executed the social media strategy the marketing the brand building and i think it's interesting because i talk about this a lot um with um whenever i do certain webinars and and i talk to people how I've really become focused very much on the social media um, community aspect of what we do to be able to really reach our fans and grow our business, but more importantly, to just connect with people. And I think you've done a very, very good job on that. And how, for me, I'm curious as to how has that impacted your overall bottom line for your business, the redeployment of your strategy. How have you changed from the way you use your or your practices of how you used to promote and market your music and build your community to how you're doing it now? So the the first thing is is I watched there was a, a documentary on the BBC 
uh, two months ago called um, Can You Feel It? I think it's called Can You Feel It? Anyway, mm. there was a... I saw that one, yeah. They, had, they, they interviewed Francois Kevorkian, and uh, he said, dance music is the most social form of music out there. It's, you know, every weekend all over the world since, you know, before I was born, people get together to meet their friends or try and, uh, you know, cop off with the opposite sex or whatever your taste yep. may be. Uh, normally around dance music. And he said, if you was an anthrop anthropologist and you went back 5,000 years, cavemen would get together around a fire. And Dance bang, around and a bang fire, a, bang, bang the drums. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, so the fire is a strobe light and people are getting together and they're dancing to a 4-4-B or however the, you know, the log was banged in that time. So I think it's hardwired into, into human psyche, dancing, meeting people. It's, it's just what we do. It's what, we, you know, it's what we put on earth to do. So... And with dance music being the most social form of music and social media exploding, yeah. they've exploded in tandem. The, the, the emergence of superstar DJs and the popularity of festivals and huge audiences at dance events is absolutely, if you track it, I believe it's in tandem and in, in parallel to social media. So instead of advertising in publications, DJ Magazine, Mix Magazine, we still do advertising as a magazine, but probably less than what we used to. Instead of taking adverts on Kiss FM, instead of doing posters on street walls, etc., flyers, etc., yeah. we now employ social media people. Yep. And that's our marketing. So we spend our money, but we spend it in a different way. It's where the attention is. And the great thing about social media, it's global. It's 24-7. Yep. You know, it can be... If you, and if it's you very get direct... Lucky, to your to your consumer, very direct to your community, which uh, is what I really like about it. A hundred percent. And what the, the 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 one thing that you have to manage is your content. It, yep. The content needs to be great because otherwise, people you'll lose people. And your tone needs to be great, you know. And and that is you can't dictate to people. It's best if you can inform people and then they make their own choice. Listen to people. Yeah, and listen to people. Do you sure. interact a lot personally? I know that your team does, but I just you personally, because it's funny, I always check out people's social media accounts, you know, their Instagram and Twitter, and just to kind of see how, you know, different artists and different people are interacting with their audience. And I've seen you respond to, to your fans. Do you find that to be an important part of your work week, just kind of really connecting with, the, with your community? Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's it's you know people you know, people contact you in every way possible. I mean, I'm actually not on Facebook. I think it would be a bridge way too far for me. It's just like <laughs> I've never been on there. But I'm on Twitter, uh, which works very well for me, and I'm on Instagram, which yeah. works really well for me. And people direct message you, yeah. so you know you can't answer everybody, but you, you know. Uh, some of my staff, they try to answer on my behalf if it's a straightforward request. Yeah. If it's something personal, then they'll say, I can't answer this, can you tell me what to say? Or I'll go on and do it personally. It's a lot to manage, as you yeah. well know. You know, yeah. it's just like... I spend a lot, of, a disproportionate amount of time literally just liking people's comments and answering them. But what I find is the ROI on that one yeah. is amazing. I, and, and, you know, it's just like, Making time for people, actually making time for everyone, making time for the people you work with, the people that work for you, for your fans, just having that, you know, you see the DJs that 
someone asks for a photograph and they shun someone and they've just lost the fan. That just Completely. makes no sense to me Completely. whatsoever. Just have time. These people are the people that paid 50 euros to get in, maybe bought a T-shirt, maybe been your fan for 15 years and don't disappoint them. Yeah, I agree. Um, so so it's you have to make time. And uh, I mean, you know, if you'd have said to me, 25 years ago, people would stop me and they'd come and say, can I have my photograph? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but it's like, but it's, the moment it stops, then then you know that you're, you can, you've got a problem. Well, you know what's interesting is, because of social media, people are actually paying attention to who is driving things. You know, I look at guys like Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, and, and basically entrepreneurs are becoming new media, social media stars now. So, it isn't so far removed now that people know, okay, this particular brand, great when you have a DJ that's associated with it, but people associate you very, very closely with Defected. Not only do you play the events, but they understand where the core, where the DNA, as you said before, is in the in the company. Now, you've had, you've picked some pretty big successes. You know, in the last couple of years, you've had... Um, You've you've had um, Camel Fat, which has been massive. Um, you've had records from a ton of people. You had my, you were behind my very first number one in the UK with another chance. And what I've always noticed throughout all of it is that there's always been this thread running through of just real soul in the music, that connection. This, to me, runs through whenever I look at what you're doing with Defected, with Glitterbox, and pretty much everything that you're doing. I always see that thread running through. Where do you see that thread leading to in the next five, ten years? I mean, I don't think it's 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 going to go anywhere. Music is, is very personal to people. It's emotional for people. People are really attached to records. You know, it's just like they, they fall in love to it. They have the best times. You know, they, they, they remember sad times by it. And that's, that's never, ever going to change. And the sad thing about the transitions that music uh, went through was it, it artists lost confidence about going into the studio because they didn't feel there was the return that was going to be there for them for their creativity and i think what's happening now with spotify and and apple music and and the fact that people are seeing a return mm -hmm. um hopefully it will give the people the producers the confidence to work with other musicians and collaborate with singers and up their game and make better records and not think that they just need to make a record on their laptop because yeah. records that you know when you make a record off your laptop sure it can sound great in a club but sometimes it's limited by that mm -hmm. um and so i i, I think that, that there's a return to people appreciating the value of music and that will be an amazing thing for for every genre of music not just not just dance records but my thing in dance music is i'm an old soul boy i grew up in an era where literally on the way here i was listening to a, a bobby rap bobby womack record on repeat mm -hmm. track called give it up and i played it and then i played it again and i was just i was just that's where I come from. So that's how I like my dance music. If I'd have grown up in a different area, era, maybe I'd like techno because I, I don't know what I was listening to, but soul is my thing. So I like soul within my house music and, you know, within disco, etc. And that's that's the consistency that you find 
within Defected and the associated labels that we have. So, And it's music first. Music drives everything. Absolutely. The reason that, you know, you have a great DJ career is because you made great records. Thank you know, you. and some sometimes people forget that. They make a great record, they go on their own, then they don't go back in the studio. Yeah. They make another great record, make another great record, and just become even more popular because the scene needs to be nourished by great music. I agree. You know, you can't just keep taking the fees out of the scene and then just go, I don't need you to just, do it It's anymore. like pulling the oxygen you out know, of a room. for sure. Just put more oxygen in by making more great records and bring more people into the scene and everybody will benefit. You know what I see you doing? It's funny, when you talk about nurturing, I've also seen you on a more personal family side, you know, with, with your wife, Yaz, and your kids. How, how have you found the development of your legacy? Interestingly enough, as I'm seeing your kids grow, they're wonderful kids, by the way, and, and what I love about them is there's a genuineness that can only be taught by demonstration. So how are you finding the next generation of nourishment that you've done and, and your balance with it as well? Because there's a lot of demands on you time-wise with this. And you and I had a conversation years ago where you told me what you thought about how you were managing your kind of work-life balance. Do you remember that conversation? Um I don't. My my. There's a skew in my balance for sure. And there's I, a skew know, in everybody's balance. I mean, my. Um, <laughs> I'm a provider. I'm 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 yeah. the hunter, and and I have to provide for my family, and I'm completely driven by that. And I when 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 you know my legacy when I pass on will be, you know the the music that I've been associated with, and and what I've done to provide for my family. You know when 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 I leave. So. You know, and um, it drives me. It drives me really hard. I missed things. I've missed, you know, sometimes I've missed my kids' birthdays or a sports day or when they get their exam results or whatever, but I provide a really good, solid foundation for their life. Not only that, I'm going to tell you something that you told me. You probably didn't remember it. You told me that you communicated with your wife and that was... The fact that she was the not only just understanding, but that support, whereas you guys had the balance of work is work, home is home, that carries through everything because there's a real foundation of soul there. And I think that is even more than maybe what you might realize part of your legacy. She... I mean, it's it's quite a difficult subject with the way that the the, the world views things at this moment in time, but... She, you know, she was a very successful uh, woman in her, in her business. She gave that up to become the mother of my children. She wanted to be a mother. She she gave up her career to to bring up our children in the way that she wanted to bring them up, and that's an in, a, an enormous sacrifice. And my contribution to that was to work as hard as I could so that I could enable her to be the mother of our children. And I think that you said that you know our children are great children. That is testimony to the job that my wife has done into being a mother. Now, there's a lot of pressure on people in the yeah. world today. People aren't able to do what I was able to do and, and, and what my wife was able to do, what Yasmin was able to do. But And, and that's quite sad, really, because the yeah. pressure is, is, is for people to work as hard as they can to have this lifestyle that they see 
on social media. So that's that, the downside of social media as well. Everybody wants a fast car or an amazing yeah. holiday. Or, well, know. they want things as opposed to, you know, and this is a big um, part of my thesis. I'm very fortunate to do what I love for a living, which I think you can agree with. Your timeline, just looking at it from a distance, reads as something that you've put a lot of love into where you've loved the process maybe even more so than the results. So I think people are so results-driven that they see the cars and the life, the money, the girls, whatever have you, as a result when the actuality is the process of getting there. That's really what I think is the reward and the result. Is that something that you kind of, that resonates with you? Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, it's it's... I love what I do. Clearly, I love what I do. I'm fortunate in, in the same way as you are. But someone asked me the other day if I was if I didn't work in the music industry, and I you know I had a normal nine to five job and whatever. What would I? What do they think I would do in in the evenings? And I said, I'd go to my record room and listen to records and practice mixes and you know and so that would be my escape. That would be my release, and that's just what I do for my job. <laughs> and so it it, it so. The time and hours and effort are probably exactly the same. I just That's spend right. the entire time doing something that I'm very passionate about, um, and you know it's. And I've been lucky. You know, we've we've. There's been times when um, when we've needed something to just kick in to enable us to survive. You know, we've we've been down to the last penny. You know, you 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 know you're you're thinking. Jesus, if something doesn't happen, I'm going to have to let staff go or I'm mm-hmm. going to have to find something else to do. And every time that's happened, you know, we've had, well, another chance, appropriately <laughs> named record came along. And and that actually was, the business was hugely successful, but what happens was we were manufacturing records at such a rate, we were selling the records, but we were waiting six months to get paid. That's right. And the cash flow in the company was decimated by the fact that we were so successful yeah. at the front end, and then we had to wait six months to get the money. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you speak to banks and they, they understand, and sometimes they're not so so uh, sympathetic. The and creative side is very difficult for, like, a banker to kind yeah. of quantify. So we, we, were, we were, it was a huge bump for us, you know. It's just like we had no money. I had no money to pay staff or bills, and people were banging the door because they see you having hits. Yeah, they think they you're don't, rolling. They don't, they don't care about your problems, yeah. but... You know, we, we rode out that bump and then the money started to come in and then they gave us another lease of life until the next bump bump came along. And that, I think, now is is given us the a fortunate position as we have uh, experience of, uh, of hard times. We can read when they're coming and we can manage our way through the, through the hard times. And that just comes with, with, you know, 20 years of running a business and... I follow some 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 um, you know business advisors on Twitter, and you know one it, not always true, but one tweet I read the other day was it takes ten years to build a solid business with a reputation. I mean, things like Uber come along and destroy a comment <laughs> like that, but gen you know genuinely. Well, no, even Uber, you know, people don't see, and this is I think this is prevalent in almost any business with success. People don't see the backstory. You know, getting to where you are now, everybody thinks defected, like the new generation will think defected happened overnight. They don't see the last 10, 20 years that you've put in. So for me, if you were to look at somebody 
starting off young Simon Dunmore, who you now have the the benefit of looking back in time and you needed to give him some advice. What would you tell him? If someone was starting out, I would say you've got to trust your gut instincts. You know, it's like you'll read um, publications, you'll get advice from people, but what does your gut and what does your heart tell you? And because normally if you understand what you're doing and you're passionate at what you're doing, your instinct is probably right. Every time I've gone against my instinct, I've regretted it most occasions. And, you know, it's um, it's easier to live with yourself if, if you feel that you've made a decision that is true to what you believe in. And um, it's not always possible to do that. Sometimes people have to make decisions that go against that. But if you can just trust your instinct. Um, and the other thing is, as well, is just... It doesn't cost anything to be polite, to be kind, to return people's phone calls, to have time for people. And, um, you know, it's just like make time for people, listen to people. The guy that actually is my managing director now and doing an amazing job, and you you say that the last two or three years have been flying, but he called me up four years ago and he just said, I'm at the crossroads of my life, I just need some advice. Can I come in for a coffee? Just, I just need 10 minutes of your time. He came in for 10 minutes. We ended up speaking for three hours. He came. I offered him a job the next day. Um, he started doing club promotions in the same way as I did club promotions. He's now the managing director. He, he's an unstoppable force. And that's just because I made time to speak to someone that I'd never even met before. Mm. It, it was a cold call. And, you know, you travel... I meet some amazing people on the plane, in the airport, randomly in a club, in a yep. bar, etc. And that grows your your perception of so many things and your experience. And uh, one of the amazing things about the industry and, and and what I've done in my life is I've got to travel and the experience of seeing, meeting different people, cultures, experience, etc. As as been hugely beneficial to me on a personal level Simon Dunmore thank you so much for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to tell us a little bit about your hustle thank you very much Roger I'm looking forward to seeing you in the booth and on the dance floor very very soon cool thank you and you sir The Hustle